Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Welcome back. Happy Monday, if it's Monday when you're listening to this. Today we continue working through the plays of Sophocles. This time the plot should be familiar to you because we've already read a version of it. Today's play is Electra. On my bookshelf, I happen to have two books with the title Electra and Other Plays. They are both published by Penguin, so the covers, and more importantly, the spines, are nearly identical. This messes with me every time I decide that I should purge my books. One book is plays by Sophocles, and the other is plays by Euripides. And given that Ajax is the first play in the Sophocles book, I really don't understand why Penguin titled it Electra and Other Plays, but they did. This is a long story to serve as a warning to make sure you're reading Sophocles right now. And yeah, I'll probably wind up telling this again when we get to a certain play, you can guess the title, by Euripides. So, as you can imagine, I am using that Penguin copy with translations by E.F. Watling. It was first published in 1953, so not the newest translation, but perfectly serviceable. Electra is one of those plays for which we do not have a date. The best guess is that it dates to late in Sophocles' career, probably around 410 BCE. It tackles the same story that Aeschylus addresses in The Libation Bearers. So this episode, we'll get to have some fun in looking at how these two different playwrights choose to tell the same myth. And yes, this will start to happen more as the podcast continues, but I think this is the first time we've had two different sources for exactly the same story. The play is set in Mycenae, just like the Libation Bearers is, and the cast of characters is pretty similar. We have Orestes, Electra, Clytemnestra, and Aegisthus, and Pilates is there too, but he has a non-speaking role in this version. Uh, There are two new characters with speaking roles, Orestes' tutor and his other sister, Chrysothemis, and our homogenous chorus is comprised of the women of Mycenae. And since we've seen this version of the story, seen a version of this story before, I think we can leave the background information there, which makes this a good time for a short break. The play opens in front of the palace in Mycenae. Orestes, Pilates, and the tutor enter. The old tutor fills the two younger men in on what happened before the play started. Agamemnon used to live in this house. Many years ago, he was murdered. When that happened, Electra gave Orestes to the tutor for safekeeping so that he could someday return to avenge the murder. And that's why Orestes has grown up away from Mycenae in the care of the tutor. And that's why they've come to Mycenae. Orestes thanks the tutor for being such a great foster father. He then goes on for a while about how he went to Delphi and learned from the oracle how he should punish Agamemnon's murderers. Here's the plan. The tutor will show up at the house and tell a story about how Orestes was killed in a chariot race or something like that. That will give the tutor access to the house. Meanwhile, Orestes and Pilates will go pay their respects at Agamemnon's grave because the oracle told him that they needed to do that. Then he can surprise Clytemnestra and Aegisthus when they least expect it, because the tutor will have convinced them that he's dead, and he can kill them. They hear someone crying inside the house and rush off before that person appears. And appear she does. Electra enters singing a song about how sad she is because her mom killed her dad. She says nothing about why her mom killed her dad. 
Her focus is entirely on her poor dad who didn't deserve his fate and how horrible her mother is and how she can't stand it anymore but can't do anything about it until Orestes comes home because he's the only one who can avenge the murder. Yeah, it's your basic depressed soprano aria. The chorus enters, and frankly, they aren't particularly helpful. They sympathize with Electra, but they offer neither constructive advice nor constructive criticism. They remind her that she isn't really alone. After all, there are her sisters, Iphianassa and Chrysothemis, and she has a brother, wherever he is. Electra continues to wail, now adding that she's wasted half of her life waiting for Orestes to return. She's not married. She has no children. She's treated like a household slave by her mother. And here we get a slightly different version of how Agamemnon was murdered. In Aeschylus's telling, it's all Clytemnestra, and it happens in the bath. Here in Sophocles, Electra speaks of a banquet and the two hands that killed him. So, not in the bath and both Clytemnestra and Aegisthus were part of the murder. Electra is still so mad about this that she can't even bring herself to call Clytemnestra her mother. Chrysothemis enters, and the two sisters get into an argument about who is handling their grief in the correct way. Chrysothemis has taken the opposite path. While she grieves for her father and her sister, she has not let it consume her. She tries to convince Electra to moderate her reactions, which, of course, she refuses to see as a reasonable option. The chorus tries to mediate with your basic, girls, girls, settle down, which is about as effective as you'd imagine it to be. Chrysothemis finally bursts out and tells Electra that when Aegisthus gets home, she, Electra, is going to be banished. Electra says she isn't scared and that she'd rather die than bend. She then asks Chrysothemis what she's doing outside anyway. Chrysothemis explains that Clytemnestra asked her to take libations to Agamemnon's grave. Electra tells her that this is sacrilege and convinces her not to do so. Instead, Chrysothemis should pray for Orestes to return. Chrysothemis agrees and asks the chorus to assist her in this deception. She exits. Clytemnestra enters, and hmm, they talk at each other. Clytemnestra admits to killing Agamemnon, but reminds Electra of why she did it, which Clytemnestra thinks is reason enough to get over his death. And Electra responds with a total what-the-fork justification of Agamemnon's sacrifice of Iphigenia, saying that Artemis forced him to do it. But she does make a valid point that an eye for an eye isn't justice. And then she blames her mother for her own choices. And Clytemnestra responds with the classic, just wait until your stepfather gets home. So yeah, good chat. The tutor enters, which is probably the only reason the two women don't come to blows. Plus, in Greek tragedy, the excitement happens offstage. He tells them that Orestes is dead and weaves a lengthy tale about how he was killed in a chariot race. He goes on long enough that anyone paying attention would realize that he's making this up. But Clytemnestra and Electra believe his tale and each mourns in her own way. Electra doesn't buy Clytemnestra's grief because Electra is the center of her own universe and can't imagine anyone else seeing the world differently than she does. Too much? (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. They argue some more about Clytemnestra's feelings and then Clytemnestra invites the tutor inside. They exit, leaving Electra alone. Or, you know alone with the chorus. Electra cries, and the chorus tries to comfort her. 
Chrysothemis enters and joyfully announces that Orestes has returned. When she went to Agamemnon's grave, she found a lock of his hair. Electra tells her that this is impossible because she's just received news that Orestes is dead, which means it is up to them to kill Aegisthus. Why she doesn't include Clytemnestra in this plot is a good question. Um, just kill Aegisthus, not both of them. Chrysothemis claims weak womanhood and says that there is no way they can do this. Electra, much like Antigone, responds by saying that she'll do it with her sister or without her sister, but do it she will. Their argument is a lot like what we saw in Antigone. Chrysothemis insists that she loves Electra but doesn't love her plans, and Electra argues that this isn't possible and that Chrysothemis isn't a real sister unless she's willing to help with the murder. Chrysothemis finally throws up her hands, throws out the last word, you'll be sorry you didn't listen to me, and exits. The chorus sings a short lament to the effect of, why can't we all just get along? Orestes and Pilates enter. Pilates carries the urn that their pretending holds Orestes' ashes. I mean, it is his urn, and it might hold some ashes, so it's not exactly a lie. Yeah, it's totally a lie. Anyway, they tell the chorus that they're taking the urn to Aegisthus, and Electra starts wailing. Orestes doesn't recognize her, and she doesn't recognize Orestes. But once she finds out what's in the urn, or what's supposedly in the urn, she says that she's a sister. Or, you know, the sister of the man whose cremains are in the urn. She still doesn't know who, she, who Orestes is. They give her the urn, and she monologues about how sad she is that Orestes is dead. Orestes tries to decide if he should tell her that he's alive or not. He grills Electra and ultimately decides that it's safe to come clean. She is so overjoyed to learn that he's not dead and that Chrysothemis was right, even though she doesn't admit that, that she has to be told to quiet down before someone hears her. The tutor comes out of the palace and tells both of them to can it or else they'll get caught before they get their revenge. They all go inside. Electra enters and tells the chorus that she's come to keep watch for Aegisthus. From inside, they hear Clytemnestra cry out. Electra cheers Orestes on, because what else are you going to do when your brother is stabbing your mother? Orestes and Pilates enter. Orestes says that the deed is done. The two men go back into the house to prepare for Aegisthus' return. When he does return, Electra can hardly contain herself. She tells him that there are messengers inside, and they've brought Orestes' remains. He opens the doors and finds a sheet-draped body, but of course, when he pulls back the sheet, he finds Clytemnestra, not Orestes. Orestes reveals that he is not actually dead and commands Aegisthus to go inside so that he can be killed in the same place that Aegisthus killed Agamemnon. I guess this exits, and that's where the play ends, and it's a good place for us to take a break. Oh, Electra, 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 Electra. I don't dislike this play, but I don't really like the character of Electra in this version. She lacks Antigone's righteousness, and she's so single-minded. I find Clytemnestra to be a much more complex character. That's who I'd want to play. Okay, maybe it's a lost mother thing. I get Clytemnestra's anger and grief over the death of Iphigenia. I understand her complex emotions over being told that Orestes is dead. Electra doesn't seem to understand any of that. 
But this is what confuses me. <laughs> the timeline in this version of the story is hard for me to follow. How old is everyone supposed to be? How much time has passed? Does Orestes even remember Agamemnon? And if Agamemnon was at war for a decade and was murdered right after he returned home, then Orestes would have to be at least 10. So how could he have been a baby when Agamemnon was murdered? How much older than Orestes is Electra? And where does Chrysothemis fall in this family? And what about Iphigenia? And who the hell is Iphianasa? Actually, I do have an answer for that last question. This is the only source in which Agamemnon and Clytemestra have four daughters. Every other source has three. Sometimes the murdered daughter is Iphigenia, and sometimes she's Iphianasa. And Sophocles is the only one to take those two names and make them two different daughters. He doesn't actually do anything with the character of Iphianasa, so why he even bothers to mention her, who knows. However many daughters there are, this family is still messed up. The family dynamics are, what's the right word? I don't know. Electra is more upset by Agamemnon's murder than Iphigenia's. After all, she can't even bring herself to call Clytemnestra mother, but she has no problem speaking of Agamemnon as her father. Which is not to say that Clytemnestra's response to what Agamemnon did to Iphigenia justifies what she then did to Agamemnon. And yeah, this family is just so screwed up. And I hate to say that Electra should just get over it because she has the right to grieve. But she really could use some therapy or a support group to talk to because the women of Mycenae are not doing a very good job filling that role. What do you think? Am I being unfair to Electra? Who would you want to play? Come and share your thoughts on the blog. The link, as always, is in the show notes. On Wednesday, we'll tackle uh, the next book of the Iliad, which is book 14. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.